This is Fantastic Books and How to Read Them. The fantasy book review podcast for fantasy fanatics, book nerds, and lovers of lore and stories. Covering some of the most beloved fantasy series, as well as brand new novels. With your hosts, Sam and Anna Furman. Let's see what we're reading this week. Welcome back, fantastic listeners, to the final part in the five-episode series covering The Treasure of Lorev by Brian Asher. As a small forewarning, please ignore the quality of the audio in this introduction. I am currently recording on my phone from a hotel room because I'm on a business trip, but the rest of the audio in this episode should be good, so please enjoy. As you may expect, as the final episode, it is boss battle time. We get super involved discussing our hero's final fight against Damon and Nathan and how that all comes to fruition. We also go pretty off the rails this time and get deep into some other fantasy series. So we also reference and discuss Game of Thrones, Star Wars, South Park, Pillars of the Earth, Fast and Furious, Blood of Zeus, and Harry Potter. So this might be our most jam-packed episode of all time. We also discuss with Brian his experiences at Comic-Con, meeting other authors and other fans, and we get a lot of information on the behind-the-scenes decisions he made about some of the artwork for his books, which is a really interesting discussion, learning about illustrations and cover art and graphic design and how that fits into self-publishing. So we really hope you enjoy it. We had an absolutely wonderful time working with Brian. We love him and his books, and we hope you enjoy. Well, I am so excited. We're live. Well, it's like bittersweet. We are at the last oh, episode. Oh, I know. We're at the end. Of The Treasure yeah. of Lorev. I can't believe we're here. Yeah. We read all your stuff now. What are we going to do? I got to make more. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. That's fair. <laughs> I um, will say again that I'm glad that we wrapped up by reading in the car again. And yeah. that we literally had to pause during that big cliffhanger while we <laughs> grabbed our setup today. Literally, as we were going to pick up the computer stuff, we were reading, and we got to the part, like, as they were entering Damon's lair, and that's when we arrived. So, like, in classic fashion, we had to shut the book at the pinnacle of suspense. That was uh, basically exactly what happened with Malcose. So we're doing it all over again. Two for two. Yeah. We're keeping consistent. I like it. It makes it more fun, though. So much more suspense with that commercial break. Yeah, there really was a build-up. <laughs> it is like a commercial break. <laughs> I loved the end. I thought it was really good. Felt like it wrapped up everything so well. And then the stuff that we talked about and kind of predicted earlier with things that maybe happened with Nathan ended up manifesting in a way that was maybe how we predicted. So I don't know. I thought it was a good end. And it was like right till the very, very end. Like action went up to like the last like sentence. I yes. That's awesome. Because we got to the last chapter and there was like so little left and I didn't know how they were going to resolve it in five pages, I think ten one, pages. One it's of my so, favorite so moments too, and like we'll dissect everything in detail, but when they're in like Damon's lab, all the lights go out and then they go red and I'm like, boss battle time. Like yeah. <laughs> I could hear like cyberpunk like music in my head. It was like, <laughs> I love the ambiance setting. <laughs> or like synth wave music like it would just be super intense and uh i guess we're kind of jumping ahead but um since we're talking about that battle scene my wife actually when she read it she's one of my proofreaders always she actually asked me to make that last fight scene longer oh so 
Yeah, so you can thank her for having a little more depth than everyone getting a little more uh, screen time on it. You gotta leave them wanting, like, just a little bit, I feel. But yeah, it was a very, like, satisfying fight. Like, the action was good. The resolution was good. So I really liked the ending. Does she like sci-fi? She does not read sci-fi or fantasy, really. (laughs) Her favorite book is uh, Ken Follett, Pillars of the Earth. That's probably her favorite book. I love that book. Yeah, she's obsessed with that book. Uh, Did you read his newest book, though, in that series? No. Okay, sidetrack. But uh, she was very frustrated because she felt it was completely ghostwritten. Oh. Like, the verbiage didn't match the period. It wasn't as elegant. Like, it definitely felt like he had someone step in. There was one specific sentence where I think it either said she... I think it said she need him in the balls. That's literally what it said. And it's like... What? That's not, not really like his the norm- style of writing. No. So she felt it was very ghostwritten. Uh, the tone was off. She was like, it just wasn't normally what you'd expect from his work. Anyways, yeah. but she loves Pillars of the Earth. She keeps trying to get me to read it. It's so good. You can skip over the architecture <laughs> parts if you don't like that, but it's a really good book. <laughs> it's also a mini series if you would yeah, rather watch it. it. That's how we ended up with like a Showtime subscription <laughs> for that show. <laughs> And then we finished it. It's a, I think it was a pretty good adaptation. Yeah, didn't we yeah. watch it? We watched it, yeah. We've seen it. it was yeah, I'm good. pretty sure it was that. Uh, I, I want to read it eventually. I've heard a lot of incredible things about it. So I feel like it's kind of Game of Thrones without any of the fantasy and like condensed down into a more cohesive, shorter story. But like same vibe. If you like that, you'd like the other. Or at least that's yeah. what I've been told because I haven't watched or read Game of Thrones. Uh, no, I haven't. I haven't jumped in on that. I've been on a huge Brandon Sanderson kick lately, so. Oh, nice. Yeah, he's great. I don't know. Game of Thrones, as far as perspective on a TV show, it's fantastic. It was one of my favorite shows of all time. I just found the last season so disappointing that I'm, like, scorned by it where I don't think I'll ever revisit. And it's, like, so disappointing (laughs) because there's such good characters and there were such eloquent and complex arcs for each character. And for that to kind of just be presented in a different way at the end you're just you're left feeling a little disappointed at least Mm. in my opinion so in that regard i'm definitely kind of like a jilted lover when it comes (laughs) to the game it throws a television (laughs) series and i'm like never again yeah some rumors my friend told me about the way it ended was he said that um he felt that once they got a deal to do star wars movies which was right before they were going to complete the season that they just tried to finish up as quick as they could so they could get out and do Star Wars. Um, and I don't know now, after the backlash, what the status is on their their movies. Because the lady who's running Star Wars, there's like all kinds of like infighting and stuff based on like some people didn't like the new movies. And, you know, there's a lot of drama. And so um, those two were supposed to come in and make a bunch of stuff. And then people thought they just got out of Game of Thrones fast. And then there was a behind the scenes uh, before while they were like talking to the actors and stuff and there was a in the background you could see um uh, peter dinklage he's like reading his script and then you can see him like get mad and like throw it at the ground oh and uh people were like saying that like the actors were just like a, a few of them were like very like reading these scripts and being like every character in this story does a complete 180 like nobody yes it's like they took every person and then just did a 180 like jamie lannister 180 like every person just they just turned them counterclockwise and called it a day. And so it really, for the show, is like, it was really sad. So, like, 
I would hope George R. R. Martin does what he wants to do with it, but I feel like he's lost his momentum and Joe Abercrombie is going to be like tasked to finish it when he passes or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like so. a lot of the fans have lost momentum too, like waiting for the end and, you know, they kind of got the end with the TV show. So even if the book is supposedly different and delivers on what they wanted, I don't think it's going to get the kind of like grand finale that it, it probably should have for something that's been going on for so long. But yeah. I don't know. That's what happens when you take a million years to write your book and you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I actually saw George R. R. Martin once at CVS in Santa Fe. Oh, yeah, because he has his house down there by the theater and all that. Yep. Yeah, he has a theater over there that's super like weird and trippy. But we were just getting, I think, like sunscreen. We were working. Did Um, you say hi? No, we did not say hi. We saw him like kind of standing in the corner by the pharmacy and just. I mean, what do you, I didn't know what to say, so I just left. <laughs> it's like, oh, no, there he is. Okay, well, I will uh, cash out and leave. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I feel like it's weird to talk to people who are like kind of famous. You don't want to be annoying. And I don't really feel like I'm a fan of his work. So I just, I just kept going. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Hey, I'm sort of interested in your stuff. Kind of. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I know my friends like your stuff. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're neat. <laughs> and he's walking away. You're like, cool. Cool, thanks. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> so I'm sure he gets heckled a lot. Oh, yeah. There was, um, since we're talking about fan interactions with authors, there was an interview I read with uh, or watched with Neil Gaiman. Guy- he was talking about how uh, he did signings with Clive Barker. And he said Clive Barker would always get like the weirdest gifts from fans. Like he would get these just horrible things like just weird oh, stuff no. you know like like pentagram books and all like bird feather made stuff just all kinds of weird stuff oh no oh, like the weird taxidermy or curiosity yes yes yeah, yeah, yeah. So weird he, shit <laughs> he turned and complained to neil gaiman and neil gaiman's like yeah but you're clive barker like what did you expect did you expect <laughs> that's so gonna be I tough just... too because it's like you either try and save face with like the fan base make thank you so much or you're like Ugh, another one and then <laughs> i just imagine he's got like a study in his house with all these like resentment like curios <laughs> and like taxidermy like little things yeah. just like all over the like place weird knickknacks yeah everybody's pet raven yeah <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of funny when uh the fans don't match what the person wants like, I feel like it makes sense. Like, he's Clive Barker. He's, like, very odd and eccentric and weird. And then, mm-hmm. like, those fans make sense with him, but clearly he was upset <laughs> by that. <laughs> and, like, the... I don't know if you guys know him, but the comedian James Acaster, he's a British comedian. For a long time, he tried to do comedy without any swearing because he's like, you can still be funny and not swear. But then <laughs> his whole fan base was, like like, very Christian. And he's like, that's not who I am. And then just did this whole big stand-up that was like full of every swear word he could think of because he was like i don't want this anymore (laughs) so just turning the tide yeah it was a very uh very odd reaction but i mean that's (laughs) you can't choose your fans i guess nope yeah all right we are way already off track that's fine (laughs) i figured that's okay I think the big surprise I wasn't expecting when we started this next set of chapters, because we don't read ahead, was you went right out of the <laughs> gate with, we got to find Benward, and then 
Benward Otley was dead. <laughs> and I was like, how are we going to get through this? I know, and you like put it in its own line. So it just was so like impactful at the first line of the last section you had us read. And I was like, well, what the heck are they going to do now? Yeah, <laughs> such a declaration. Like I felt like I was like, oh, the trail ends here. Right? It felt like a dead end. Especially because not long after that, we find out that Damon already knows where the diffuser sphere is and he's there with it, which I was not expecting No, either. So I'm assuming that's it was hinted at when they were talking to Benward, but like that's a lab that he and Johan already used, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So the diffuser sphere had been there all along, but it was just locked up really tight and he thought he could bypass needing the personal station in the merge. So he went right to the end, which cut the chase even faster than I was expecting because I thought he was going to have to double back and try to get the personal station and the merge again, but he just went to the finish line instead. Yeah, it was definitely bottlenecked the whole scenario and really made it feel like breakneck speed, like the severity of the situation and like time is of the essence. And I was like, go, go, go. Yeah, because <laughs> they were like, we have two days basically like to either stop him or we all become like enslaved in his new world system. Right. Um, so when they, when um, Kana and the gang make it to his wife, I think it's his wife's house first. <laughs> yeah. They, yeah. They go to the uh, Rachel's, Rachel's house. house. So yeah. Benward's estranged wife. And she thankfully is like unintentionally helpful. Yes. She gives them a copy of the obituary and like a copy of some other articles and then mentions that in the obituary they talked about how Benward had a brother, even though he didn't. And she thought that was maybe like a joke he was trying to put in. And she didn't really think anything of it. But I don't know. That would definitely throw up a red flag for me if someone had like an unknown sibling suddenly mentioned their obituary. Right. I thought he was going to pop up in the story. But then obviously. Yeah, it was like his alias. Yeah. So that worked out for him. Okay. Yeah. If I was Rachel, I'd be like, is there a long lost brother out there somewhere that I don't know about? Um but I mean, I guess because they were estranged, she didn't really like look into it too much. And then she also mentioned that they, Benward and his dad would go to this coffee shop all the time. It was like very special to them. So they decide that they're going to go to the coffee shop. And thankfully, that plays out OK for them <laughs> because that's <laughs> where he's hiding. <laughs> yeah, the coffee shop is very creative, too. I liked the premise behind it because like, yeah, sometimes you hear about like cat cafes. So like... <laughs> You know, they have like a Lieber coffee shop. I just, I love like that alternate dimension <laughs> feel to it. <laughs> There's a new gas station near us called Neon and it has a like Bobcat as its logo. Yes. yes. <laughs> I was like talking about it at work one day and my coworker goes, oh, my wife's company, like she works as a corporate lawyer, but they bought the Neon Marketplace and like no one knows why it's a weird cat. And it's just like, it's some strange mystery that no one understands. So she was asking about it and asking about it and asking about it. And I guess the person who initially like owned the gas station had this really weird piece of neon 80s art that had a blue cat in the background. And that's how it became like neon and the blue cat. So I just like the idea that they have um, <laughs> a little lemur in there. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. When Cy did the uh, illustration, I was really hoping because I, I, I gave him a lot of free reign and I was hoping he would do the lemur. And when I got the illustration back and it had the little lemur on the side, I was very excited. Yes. Wait, let me scroll back and look at it. Oh, yeah. Right on the side. Cute. 
So he was able to pick whatever he wanted to draw? Yeah, so the way I, I kind of had a vision for these chapter header illustrations, and they sort of went different directions. I originally thought I would just do like an object. So if they were traveling down like an old road, it would just be like the road and maybe some trees or like a little more vague just to keep it less expensive because I had to do 13 of them. And then when he did them, he did them in the squares with the actual like more scenery, which was more than I expected. But he was able to do it and he did it in sort of his style that made it look like his style, but also allowed him to do them quickly for me. And so when I would give him an area, I would basically give him a giant Word doc that said like, it had pictures of like what I thought it would look like. Uh, like for Torek, it had like old gas stations, old side of the road places, and then insides of a coffee shop. And so I said, you could either do like the inside of a coffee shop or you could do like the outside. So every different area, I would kind of give him some freedom to kind of choose which way he felt artistically was more fun. Ah. Yeah. And so what's funny, though, is on when I initially released this, there were still three drawings I needed, but I he had some stuff going on, so he wasn't able to finish them. So my mom actually has some graphic design capabilities and she did the inside of the coffee shop. And she did the illustration if, like, I can even find any of those versions anymore. But. There's some <laughs> early versions out there yeah. with your mom's art in it. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she did uh, the eastern outskirts, the desert. She did the desert, and she did the coffee shop. And then I think she did one other. Oh, she did the um, the one that's next to Jared with, like, the shopping mall. She did that one. And then once I caught up, then I... I swapped them out and everything, which he got them done like just in time for the, the Comic-Con that I had, I think in Salt Lake, but maybe not. So all the people in Salt Lake, if the books are earlier, might actually have the only copies with the old drawings, which is oh, kind of cool. cool. Yeah. First edition. That's really mm -hmm. cool. Yeah. So they actually, I think they do because that was the day I released the book was the first day of that Comic-Con. So yeah. So I think everybody in Salt Lake has like unique copies compared to anyone else right now so fun do you sign all the uh copies you sell at comic-con because you signed ours when you sent them to us oh well. yeah 100 percent. i sign them all i personalize them i put a little message in there and, that's yeah. fun yeah I, I i think it's awesome like i love getting to share this stuff and that comic-con has been even though it was a while ago that one has been probably the most interesting as far as like feedback like i've gotten multiple messages on my website and directly on instagram from people who bought my books from that comic-con and also uh goodreads reviews i i didn't really check my goodreads i'd gotten behind really and then i went on my goodreads and there was a bunch of people from the utah comic-con who had reviewed my book on goodreads so it was really cool that's a great feeling yeah yeah it's hard to get the goodreads reviews uh even amazon reviews because i've had amazon reviews that get deleted too so oh yeah it's super annoying like sometimes they i don't know what they're like bought algorithm thing is so anyways if anyone's listening who's bought my book please leave a review because it helps <laughs> and leave them on amazon and goodreads so just copy and paste them in both <laughs> well i'm yeah. i will do that too because uh i haven't gotten around to that yet don't you have another comic-con coming up too or has mm -hmm. that happened no phoenix in may it's like the 27th through the 29th Ooh, so nice. i'll yeah, so I'll be down there. Uh, I finally shipped everything. So all my stuff is down there waiting for me in their warehouse. I just have to show up. I'll just find out if my Alaska Airlines flight is canceled and I'm road tripping. Or <laughs> or if I'm uh, able to just fly there, we'll find out. So Hopefully not. Yeah, fingers crossed. One way or another, I will get there and I will sign books. Sweet. That'll be fun. 
we keep getting so off track. So back to the back to circle moments. Yeah. So back to the gas station. (laughs) Oh, before the gas station, what did you think of uh, after the heroes decide they have to go to the coffee shop in Torek? Nathan in the lair before they get there. Yes. So I was going to bring this up and fully dissect. There's like three very important (laughs) things that happen in this scene. The first is when Nathan is talking with Damon and. Damon brings up his most recent failure. Again, there's like this complex to like prove himself and But it definitely like gets capable. under his skin. Oh, definitely. He's and not happy about that. Damon in this whole interaction, you can see him go from maybe a misguided anti-hero kind of thinking he knows what's best for society to becoming full-on villain. Because we have like this whole, you know, insulting trying to like get Nathan in the right headspace to get the job done correctly. Then, unfortunately, to open the diffuser sphere, Damon uses... He says he's going to try to use Nathan to unlock it. And then he's like, oh, well, it went badly the other times that happened. And then there's like dead bodies. And then we find out it's Nathan's friend. So like, I feel like that's just so much for Nathan to cope with. Yeah, and I feel like it was like a two-part threat where it was like, you need to do this correctly or you're gonna wind up like them or if you disappoint me you're done so that like was a lot on the line and again it's showing how damon is just evolving away from what his intent was and he's losing himself to his goal basically he's giving everything up for it he's doing that kind of thing like for the greater good like you can make any sacrifice as long as it's like for a better larger goal yeah and then on the personal level that's super hard like if it's nathan like his dad has already escaped and left um and then now his two like friends are dead he doesn't really have anyone left and then the fact that damon like just like needles right under his skin by saying you failed before it's does not put him in the right mental space and like then he's getting upset and angry and then the nanites are like coming and like controlling his emotions even though it's such a emotionally sad and frustrating time Because, like, you're mourning your friends, but then you realize, like, this is kind of your fault. So I feel like there's a lot going on there for him. And I think that's the big picture scary, so to speak, for what could happen to everybody in Larev. Because if you all get, you know, added to the collective and you have these nanites, like, are you actually in control? Like, you could be a slave, but these nanites will make you, like, apathetic and not really care about your situation. Yeah, that's the scary part about it. I understand the idea of like centralizing information and like maybe that's a good goal. But the fact that there's like the emotional control that comes with them is very dangerous. Yeah. So I feel like this scene really reinforced the threat of what Damon is to Larev. With this chapter, there's a few different things I definitely wanted to bring up. One was that with the last book, like self-discovery was definitely a theme, like finding yourself, becoming yourself. Uh, figuring out who you are. This book, a big theme for me was sacrifice. Like what are you willing to give for what cause and what matters to you? And then another thing I explored was like individualism and collectivism and like the ultimate variations of those. You know, like in my mind, I tried to make Lorev almost an individualist society, Mm -hmm. like on steroids, like the idea that, and I didn't get to explore their government as much. Eventually I will, but the idea that like, each pillar of a standard society has its place. So your three pillars are like your people vote, 
your government vote and your uh, business vote. And so it's like, that was my like vision for that. And so my thought was if like someone like Damon is like the ultimate version of like collectivism of taking it to that extreme, you know, where, where would that go? And it's like, it, it once he chooses a decision and that's the decision for that collective, then it takes everyone with it. And so this was like combining the idea of sacrifice and the extreme of collectivism in those two things. I'm like, seeing where they take this character. I feel like that's even on the like good guy's side though too, because Connor was at the beginning like, I go alone, I'm not part of a group, like I don't want friends. Uh and then like the benefits of being part of like a small collective uh obviously are good because they make like a little team. Yeah. And it's kind of the antithesis to the like everyone's all in one collective and you don't get a choice about it. When, right. Yeah. Which is what Damon's doing. That like yeah. each territory we visit within Lorev, like whether it's the outskirts or Chushin, like everything's so individualized and separate, and each location feels unique. That again, it plays into that individuality of each person theme. So I thought that was really kind of an interesting parallel between like the landscape and like the people itself. It seems yeah. very like every man for themselves kind of place. Like you got to watch out for yourself a lot more than in like Malcoze per se. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. You brought that up. Cause like with Malcoze, there's uh, more reasons than just the technology and magic that they, that they struggle with each other. It's also their mentalities. Like, you know, this society appears very different from Malcoze where they're a little more friendly, a little more uplifting, you know, whereas Lorev, it's kind of like, get your bootstraps on and let's go. Yeah. <laughs> and so with, uh, <laughs> with like Jared and Gilman who are from somewhere completely different. The cool part is, is when this individual society becomes a melting pot, like their camaraderie almost like brings heart to a city that feels heartless. I don't know. I always think of the South Park thing where it's like, we're going to warm their icy heart with a hot <laughs> island song. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> so it's like they're warming, warming Kana's icy heart with the hot island song. So yes, I love yeah. that. It works. <laughs> Did you have anything else to say about Nathan? Did you unpack it all? Yeah, I guess I did unpack it all with Nathan. I just, everything's <laughs> on the line. And I liked that this moment, like that chapter ends with what his conversation with his dad is replaying through his mind. And there's, again, like that secondary moment of doubt with him and Damon. It's kind of interesting too, because Damon sees himself as invincible and untouchable. And if he had literally just played this, scenario differently if he'd treated nathan differently he would have won but the fact that he has so much disregard for everyone else because he thinks of himself as like the best that was exactly his downfall like if he had just said one or two things differently or like not showed him that he'd killed his friends or done anything differently like he probably would have succeeded so right and the last thing i just want to say before we do jump into the coffee shop when nathan replays through his mind what gerald said was is this what's best for Lorev? I think when he was cognitively aware that he should be upset, but the nanites are toying with his emotions and diffusing his frustrations and anger and sadness, that I think that's definitely like the catalyst or tipping point where he's like, this isn't a good thing. People should be in charge of their emotions, even though he doesn't outright say it. I think that was like what broke the camel's back and he decides this is not what's best for Lorev. When Damon dies, is Nathan like freed from the Nanite's control or are they still going to be like in his blood forever? That is a really good question. So I guess we could jump ahead. 
Sorry. <laughs> I Oh, no, no, no. You're fine. You're fine. I try and leave little questions like that so that I can dive into them later and give me more storylines. Similar to like how, I mean, it happens a lot in comic books. I think because they have such a continue, like the universe just keeps going, going, going. So people look back, like new writers will look back and be like, oh, this character was left over here at this planet. Let's like go explore that, you know? Mm -hmm. So I try and leave those little threads for myself. So I left his thread alone and actually something like I'm working on, it's still in the imagination stage, but it's definitely pretty far along is I'm, I'm doing these comic book scripts and eventually I want to get to have like little standalone comics that have like slices of different stories within the inner continents. And then once I have enough of them, I put them like together in, in a collected edition. So my idea is that Nathan still has the nanites and takes upon his mission to go find everybody else who has the nanites and either remove them or remove them as a person because there are some people that are finding ways to reuse the nanites on other people and Ooh. it's causing really bad issues. So I have a whole story in my head that I've been working on where he's trapped in this like slum apartment, fighting his way through all these zombie-like people who have been nanited by a guy who doesn't know how to use them properly. So when he's taking them from his blood and injecting them, he's turning these people into these like crazed zombies. And so it's like a little short story of Nathan fighting through this like slum building to get to this like crazy guy on the top floor. Ooh, Ooh I love yeah. that. That's yeah. really cool. <laughs> Very much like the leftovers, like those who were, I guess, infected, but that have the nanites and like what they do with the gift that's left. I really like that as like a plot line. Yeah, that's a really good uh, thing to explore because everyone's got to do something different with them too. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I like leaving those little threads is so I can do it. So the first comic I'm, I'm working on, it's still in the works, is um, a, a character from the third book that I can use as sort of like an introduction. But the next one I want to work on is going to be that story because it's like very strong in my head and I already have a lot of it mapped out, like outlined in my imagination. So it's just sort of a pen to paper moment with it. But um, I have to keep it on the back burner because I have all these other ones that I'm doing. <laughs> so I don't like to jump around too much. Yeah. And then if I don't do it as a comic book and I do it as a, as a story, I might do like a short story collection, but his would be in like all first person. Like that would be a story I would do in like all first person. Yeah. He definitely deserves it at this point. He's, there's definitely been enough groundwork for him as a compelling character where he definitely has his moment in like the spotlight. Yeah. He's a lot more of like a, a player in the plot than I was expecting. Since you were talking about your other books, this one and Assassin of Malcolm obviously kind of happened like simultaneously because of what Franco says at the end of the other one about like they found the the artifact. Does the third book take place at the same time too? Like, are they all concurrent? This third one won't be. It'll be a little bit further ahead, only because okay. one of the characters relates to an event in the first book. But yeah, it'll be maybe a few years ahead. Cool. Okay, so not like wildly different. Yeah. All right, now we can go to the coffee shop. <laughs> <laughs> Kana, Jared, and Gilman go to the she's Lemur very, coffee shop. She's very <laughs> trendy for ordering a cold brew, too. I, mean, I know. <laughs> I, I was a cold brew junkie for a long time, so I threw that in there. Oh, yeah. Aren't, don't you live near Seattle? Isn't that like the coffee oh, yeah. shop capital of everything? Oh, yeah. It's, uh, it's kind of interesting how it's come up and down because I didn't know about like any of that craft coffee or like everything I got was just like Starbucks. And then I remember when I lived in a small area called Ballard, it's like a neighborhood in Seattle. 
this little coffee shop opened across from me called Slate. And I think they have a, a few locations, one in Seattle and then by the University of Washington and then one in Bellevue, which is like across the water. And they had cold brew and I had never heard of it. And they made it and they would put it in glass bottles, like brown glass bottles. Ooh. And they were like the crazy eccentric coffee shop that did stuff I had never heard of. Like they did coffee flights and like you would try all this stuff. And uh, they did like coffee sangrias and like all kinds of stuff, like stuff you never think of. Yeah, it was really cool. <laughs> never heard of that. Yeah. So I would always get cold brew there and they made the best cold brew. So I got hooked on it for a long, long time and I don't drink it as much now. I still drink iced coffee but because a lot of cold brew, it doesn't taste the way that one did. But yeah, so I had to throw it in here. So <laughs> I mean, we just have a Dunkin' Donuts on every corner. So yeah, it's like typical New England. Yeah. I'll send you guys some good coffee beans. Yeah. Oh my God, that'd be so good. I mean, we do not drink D- Dunkin' Donuts coffee, but... <laughs> yeah, you're doing pour overs on your Instagram story, so you know what's up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, we don't really drink Dunkin' Donuts, but it is like, I don't know how much people outside of New England like feel like it's a stereotype, but we do have Dunkin' Donuts every two miles or so. Really? They're literally, and they're all busy all the time. Really? Yeah, it's kind of disturbing. <laughs> it's so weird. Ours went out of business in like the late or the early 2000s, probably, or late Good. 90s. The coffee's so terrible. Bad. And I know I like the I donuts. Sh- <laughs> it's a New Englander. Someone's going to come at me for that, but um, <laughs> that coffee is not good. Yeah. <laughs> so, you, so bad. It's just ice cream, most of those, you know? That's the thing with yeah. Starbucks, too, is like, you know, people order something. I'm like, do you want coffee with your ice cream? Or like, what do you... <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's just like sugar and like so much milk. And then they blend it all up. Like, that's a milkshake. They like dump soft serve into it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would eat that. But yeah, not as yeah. a coffee. <laughs> not affogato for sure. And most certainly the Lemur Cafe does not do this. No. Not no. yet. <laughs> Too nice of a place. Yeah, so I just thought that was funny that you put the cold brew. And then like throughout, they've been drinking Compressa, which I don't know if that's a thing. Or if that's a Lorev thing. Because it sounds Definitely like... a Lorev thing. It's just espresso, but with a fun name. I thought so, but I liked that it had its own like little twist on it. Because I imagine yeah. almost like K Cups and like integrated with the technology, like it's fast, like easy access, quick. Ooh. Well, because uh, Nathan drinks an IPA, but I can't call it an IPA. So it's an LPA. Yes. <laughs> we saw that. <laughs> Lorev Pale Ale. That was good. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of like, like I feel fun. like if you wanted to make this into a movie, you could almost put in like really fun product placement throughout the whole thing. Just like really silly products <laughs> yeah. and everything like with the the jump pack and then the LPA and then all the coffees and everything. It's just like it's very brandable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, they got their their coffees from Benward, who's fronting as Harry. And Kana totally owns this scene where she mentally is like, are we going to dance around this or what? And she just calls him out immediately. She, and I feel like that would be such a jarring moment where she just goes, how long did you know my grandfather, Benward? <laughs> All the illusions shattered. And she's like, excuse me, what? Like He yeah. tries to like like pretend for a second, but he's not. she's not fooled. And he basically deduces that she's Kana. And I think they were trying to, I don't know if they thought the diffuser was there or if he would just have like the next clue as to where the diffuser was. But a lot of back and forth where he's saying like, why didn't your grandfather tell you if it was so important? Like, why do you need to ask me about it? And then he doesn't really want to help them anymore. He said he like used to care and then didn't. 
Well, it's really hard didn't care for him. so much anymore. Well, until they deduced that he's like, I don't want to really help you. Yeah, I mean, he was like <laughs> obsessive for years, and he finally got his chance to talk with Johan, and it was like he was willing to give anything up, but didn't realize the implications of it. So when he finally got it, again, like that theme being like sacrifice. Yeah, he, he had to make ultimate sacrifice. Had to basically erase himself from society and everyone because he learned way too much dangerous information. Yeah, and I guess Johan Johan could have given him just like a really boring interview and not given any of this information away, but he'd been so elusive for so long that like he really had to bargain to get it and I don't know if Benward really knew what he was going to have to give up at first, but he's clearly very upset about it now and very bitter. Because he can't write and he can't like be himself. He can't talk to anyone from his old life. And he's essentially gone into hiding. Yeah, and he couldn't even produce the story. And that was like the whole reason why I wanted to meet with Johan in the first place. Yeah, so he got the information, but nothing was able to come of it. He just had to, what'd they say? He had like a little reflective piece or something. Yeah. Yeah, something very benign, yeah. Yeah. And so Jared being the MVP of the scene. Well, Gilman was really good too. I'm never going to not say Gilman wasn't great, but Jared gives him the opportunity to look at it in a different perspective and say, hey, you know, if you help us and we remove this threat, you can be the guardian of this knowledge and, you know, release it the way you want to and get a piece of yourself back. Like, there's something worth fighting for here. And if you help us out, like, nothing will ever be back to normal per se, but you'll at least get something that you want out of the situation. I think he offers for him to tell their story too, like all of their yeah. adventures. Um, but Kana says she can't have her name attached to it, which lessens the sweetness of that, <laughs> that deal. <laughs> no, but I think it provides a really, what could be like funny fourth wall opportunity where like, it'd be like Benward books. And then it would be, <laughs> this universe's perspective of like what went down with the battle with Damon. And it could either be like wicked accurate or completely off. And like society almost kind of like how media can be sometimes either takes the story like verbatim as like, what's the truth or like, you know, they'd be reading this like this didn't happen. Like you could write the treasure of Lorev and publish it in Lorev. And then it would be like, so meta. Yeah. 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 You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. That's a good idea. Oh, I love it. Just like a little side thing. Like it's like the next like most popular kids book or something because he like dulls it down for YA. <laughs> <laughs> YA, yes. Awesome. Yeah, I always try and give little nods to like inside jokes and stuff with my friends. Mm-hmm. So yeah, maybe that'll happen. If I can fit it in the story, it'll happen because that sounds really fun. Yeah, I think that could be <laughs> could be fun for him. Just so I feel like he wasn't really... Like, we didn't meet him till the end, but he was a part of the story and the fact that we kept getting all of his articles. And then we met his his widow. And then when you finally meet him, like, he is just kind of stuck in this very small coffee shop. He doesn't have anything that's literally going for him. Oh, and that's a sad part. So cause... for him to get, like, one little sweet, like, thing that he gets at the end where uh, he gets to publish the book or, or, you know, like, things turn around for him a little bit would be cool. Yeah, and I yeah. love the uh, reveal that he's a quarter Malcozan. Oh, yeah. And that he's been kind of like in disguise, so to speak. But because of his ancestry, he tends to live a longer life. So that really gives a good opportunity for future events and him being part of it. Did we know that? No, I don't think we did. 
Was that in Assassin of Alcose or anything? Uh, what? That they live longer? I don't, I don't think I put it in that one. I think I started putting it in this one because uh, there are certain intercontinent people who live intercontinentals. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> there are certain uh, groups of people who have longer lifespans. Yeah, because um, basically he tries to call their bluff and he's like, how am I going to be around for the next generation to like pass the information on? And Gilman had figured out that he was going to actually live longer than a regular person. Which is Very cool. astute. Yeah, Gilman's kind of been like background for a while. So I feel like he suddenly in this moment, like really read Benward's character and, and got to the heart of the issue there. Yeah. Aside from it being snack happy, I wanted him to kind of be that guy that just sits back in the room yeah. and sort of like lets everything happen. And then he says that one little thing that's like, oh, why didn't any of us think of that? And it's because yeah. he's very patient. Yeah, he definitely is. Uh, I mean, like you said, he's always snacking, but <laughs> you can be snacking in the background and observing. And that's definitely kind of what he was doing here. Well, that's the thing. Once he's satiated, he's good. <laughs> <laughs> my wife joked that he's almost, uh, she's like, was your dad an inspiration for him? Because my dad is like that. He sits back and sort of like assesses everything and is like very observant of things that you don't think about. Like, my like I could ask my dad like he when we had Sam's Club like what's the difference between Sam's Club and Costco and he'll like just lay out all these differences and then if you think about going to both stores you're like yeah those are all true and I never thought about those differences um so he's like just one of those very like calm observant people huh. and uh he also loves snacks like if you leave dish food out he will like eat it all we <laughs> we call him a raccoon uh my I taught my daughter to call him grandpa raccoon he just, like, yes. <laughs> he just eats all the food. Like we went to get um, uh, dumplings at, at a place and he ate the like paper wrapper on the bottom. And we're like, dad, you're not supposed to eat that. He's like, oh, I thought you were. <laughs> <laughs> so now he's grandpa raccoon. So, I uh, love that. Yeah. It's awesome. So I think in my mind, absentmindedly, I didn't realize that Gilman was slowly like a, a, a variation of my dad. So. I think we asked you in the your first book too, like if any of the characters were based on people you knew, but we didn't ask you for this one. So um, is anybody else in this one based on people that you know? I would say Jared has like instances of like my own love of nerdiness, mm -hmm. but also uh, I don't know if you're familiar. There's a YouTuber called Marcus Brownlee. I think I can't remember the name of his channel. He just reviews like tech. Uh -huh. And I really like him. He just seems like such a fun, personable guy who I just would want to hang out with. So I was like, what if this guy was mixed with Wesley Snipes? Because he actually looks like, if you look at Marcus Brownlee, he kind of like Jared looks similar to him. Like I didn't want him to look the same, but they look similar. And so uh, when I made Jared, I was like, what if like it was this guy mixed with like Wesley Snipes? So that's what I went with. <laughs> Ultimate cool guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> So not anyone you know, personally. But. No, I do not know Marcus Brownlee or Wesley Snipes. Maybe one day if I'm lucky, I'll meet them both. But Yeah, I feel the, like it's probably good not to put like clear representations of people you know in your writing, just in case people are upset by that. No. <laughs> yeah. Actually, one of my coworkers was telling me that there used to be a guy who worked at our company who would write like horror stories and clearly put like other people who work there in them. So like her name's Erin uh, and he'd be like, Oh, I wrote this story about this girl 
Garen, who <laughs> is an archaeologist, and she was digging in the woods, and then zombies ate her. And she's like, why are you putting me in your books? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, at least we That's the cool. other end of the extreme, where, like, you don't want to be in someone's book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I won't have a vampire victim in my third book named, like, Gamma or, or like, Saul <laughs> or, or Pam. something. Yeah. Pam. <laughs> oh, Pam. <laughs> He ran as fast as he could. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> oh my god. You could kill me off in a book. I'd be happy. <laughs> yeah. Back to the western outskirts. No, they're not in the western outskirts. That's where the book started. Oh, that's right. They're saying that... <laughs> Our archaeologist and geography major. Oh, I have a terrible sense of direction. You do. We once spent a week in London, and every day when we'd leave our Airbnb, we would just have to take a left turn. And every single day, without fail, the most confident stride, I would take a right every single day. And Otto would go, you're going the wrong way. We literally never went that direction, ever. Oh, man. That's like my wife. If she drives, we miss. The exit we're supposed to take on the freeway, she misses it 100% of the time. 100 percent of the time <laughs> and i can't go to sleep or talk because if i do i'm gonna miss it and i won't be able to tell her like i remember i went to sleep i this is on multiple road trips i'll be asleep and then i'll like crack my eyes and i'll see a sign of like was that our exit and she's like yeah <laughs> we're just like boom <laughs> like right past it. at least she's consistent yeah, yeah. At least you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh you got lost in Target today, so yeah. Well, that one's, <laughs> that one's inverted from the one we normally go to. It's like a perfect mirror. <laughs> no, Can't it's get not. out. Can't get out. That's how they get you to buy more. So you cannot go in Ikea then, because you, um, you will not be able to find your way out. I might as well start paying rent. Yeah, I'll just I'll, I'll live there forever. You could eat so many Swedish meatballs. There's a really cool book. I Barnes & Noble had it for a minute. I think it's gone. But a guy wrote a horror story of if, like, an overnight crew was trapped in Ikea, but it's, like, a fake Ikea. And the whole book is designed to look like an Ikea catalog. And all the chapters have, like, the Swedish, like, furniture names and stuff. It's oh really God. cool. That's yeah. really clever. I like that. I don't know how they didn't put it right at the front, especially because this area, like, where we live rented, we have, like, the Washington Ikea is, like, right down the hill from us. Like... They've been there so long and they're such a big part, like, economically of our area that the Renton High School, the Performance Arts Center, was, like, donated by Ikea. Um, So, like, if you're in Washington, like, that is the only Ikea. It's not in Seattle. It's, like, in basically, like, Renton. We used to live up the hill from it. Uh, So I was, like, and the Barnes & Noble is, like, right around the corner. And I'm, like, why would you not put that book right up in front? So many people would buy that just because of the the local history of Ikea, like having such an impact here. but That's a great like, right? concept. I wonder if Ikea came at them for like copyright or something. I don't know. I mean, it was on their shelves. So if they got all the way to print and in a bookstore, it had to, you know, and it's satire. I mean, it was funny. So yeah, that's a great idea. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to try and look it up and I'll, I'll send it to you guys. Cause yeah, I'm like, please do. how has this book not gotten more like anything? Like nobody said anything about it. Like, this is so funny. I've never heard of that, but that sounds so good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Speaking of mazes, they are entering the maze. So yeah, I'm going to make that a rough transition there. <laughs> <laughs> that's all good. Um, so they're out in 
an unallocated zone and it's like super super cold and blizzardy and they are trekking through the blizzard my worst nightmare i hate the cold um really Yes, I do. In fact, when I'm a terrible New Englander, yeah, you are. yeah, I was gonna say you're like in like cold USA, other than Minnesota, maybe. Yeah, the, there's a line earlier where Nathan says like, "Why would anyone live in the cold?" Oh yeah, when I read that, I was like, "Yeah, tell him." <laughs> Why would anybody live here? Anna literally paused reading and goes, "He's got the right idea." <laughs> so, where, yeah, like, was that in this chapter? I think one. the previous the previous okay. one where he was like on his way in to the the lair when um Damon shows him like the his friends had died and everything. Oh, like okay. when, he, when he's making his way there, he's like, Oh, it's so cold. Why wouldn't anyone live here? And I was like, Yeah, agreed. Why would anyone live in the cold? <laughs> That's awesome. I hate it, I hate it so much. <laughs> yeah, so they're like camping in the snow. And Jared's pretty <laughs> prophetic. He's like, it all began in the snow. Like I had to go to the other mountain region and now it circles back and ends in the snow. So it just felt very profound there. And like the the morning before they get to the lair, he's like kind of meditating and thinking about how he's trying to keep himself from getting scared. So that's what he's been thinking about. Um, so it's just like the last calm before they enter the final battle. Yeah, it's like that tense moment before war. Like, everyone's just trying to keep it together. It's, like, very intense. Yeah. What did you guys think of the drawing for this chapter, too? This was probably my favorite. Yeah, the plateau or, like, the butte. Yeah. It's, like, really... I thought that looked so cool. And it's interesting because um, I didn't... It doesn't look super cold. I, like, I think I saw it because it's black and white and I was picturing like very deserty. I think because the cover of Lorev is obviously like orange and sunsetty. So I was like, oh, they yeah. must be in like a, a remote desert region. And then I, like it's freezing cold and it looks so stark. I thought it looked awesome. It's very fortressy. Yes. And it's also kind of symbolic, like one last mountain to climb, one great challenge. Yeah. And I like that they have to go through like a maze essentially to get to like the core. Yeah. Um. Is the entire thing in the picture a building or is it like stone that's been carved out to make the structure? The second one. Okay, second that's what one. I thought. It looks so cool. Looks really yeah. good. And then I'm assuming, is that Nathan or Damon standing there? Uh, I would assume it'd be Damon. That, that okay. was my assumption is that it was him. I uh, so. And then it was kind of vague. So I was like, oh, you could say it was any of them. But to me, I thought it'd be Damon there just because the little cloak and that he's there first so yeah it's definitely like a good pinnacle where the last last uh battle takes place so thankfully kana hooked him up with snowmobiles for their yeah. journey because otherwise this would have been awful and they probably wouldn't have made it in time i feel like it's such a good theme of the book too was like sweet rides so like you can't <laughs> go into the final battle without like one last like awesome vehicle to get there yeah, yeah i've never seen any of the fast and furious movies but i feel like you could just fit this into that franchise because that's <laughs> just all about racing question mark like i said family i don't know oh what yeah are about. oh my gosh okay real quick side note <laughs> yes quick side note so yes first of all they are about racing and yes they are about family and we went to universal orlando and there's a fast and furious ride and my wife and I are like, yeah, well, you know, we'll just do all the rides. So we did the Fast and the Furious ride. And the whole ride is this terrible ride where you're in a party bus. And the oh. idea is that the party bus is like 
trying to get hijacked and there's like the rock hanging from like a helicopter with a bazooka <laughs> and it's so terrible and the whole time they just go we're family man we're family we're family they say it like 17 times and by yes. the end my wife my <laughs> wife was like if i hear one more person call his family like i'm unbuckling and like jumping out of this thing like this is so <laughs> annoying and then we found out later that it's like one of the worst reviewed rides to the point where this like this guy who does like roller coaster uh, history videos had a whole video on it being like the worst ride and people like seek it out because it's so bad. So, so we're oh really God. glad we did it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like their version of it's a small world. Yeah. Yes. Worse. Yes. We're 100%. a family after all. <laughs> yeah. So the fact that you said that my wife is going to be so happy. Oh my God. This so talent funny. recognizes talent. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. Oh. That was also why, uh, well not because of that terrible ride, but for the pictures of all the characters, I put, um, I had him put vehicles because I wanted kind of that race against time element, the action movie element, all those different like emotions that you get from being around a vehicle it feels like adventure, exploration, and like momentum. And so that's why every person is in front of a vehicle. Yeah, I, I thought that was cool. I like the, uh, I know you send us like full color versions of them. So I really liked those copies. Yeah, those are gorgeous. Yeah. Ah, uh, Amilis, why do you have to retire? I'll still email him. <laughs> I'm still going to email him. <laughs> May as well. It can't hurt, right? Yeah. Yeah, he did some cool stuff, so. Yeah, the art's really good. I'm very impressed with it. Yeah, hopefully uh, we the cover um, got like a recognition. It was like finalist for best cover or whatever. So I ordered three medals, but the company's in the UK. So they haven't come and one of them got lost. So they're going to try and mail them again. Because I ordered three because I ordered one for me, one for Elizabeth, who did all the formatting, and then one for Emilis. And so I'm hoping I can get those so I can mail them each a medal. But it's still, yeah, it still hasn't come yet. So, and actually, another quick thing about the cover. Originally, the first cover he sent me, I really, it didn't have the same feel. So I had him redo it based on another image he had that I liked. And uh, so this was actually, this cover was like the second revision. And it's completely different from the first one he did. Do you Ooh. have the first one anywhere? Mm-hmm. I still have the file somewhere, I think. But if you see it compared to this, it's like night and day. Night oh, and day wow. Difference. I really like the cover for this one. Yeah. I yeah. like the uh, the color choice. I like the font, actually. It looks like neon lettering. I don't know. I, I feel like it, it captured like how expansive and big and like uncontained Lorev is. Oh, for sure. There's a, an image he had. It's really cool. And it was um, sort of an inspiration for this cover. And then also the idea of that big cave with all the machinery in it. It's basically like somebody finds a robot in this like lost cave. Ooh. and brings it to life but it's like a giant mech robot it's really cool i mean so much of his art is so incredible and oh here it is i also found the ikea horror book it's called horror store with the two dots over the o's nice. <laughs> oh there uh, it is no there it is whoa. whoa isn't that cool i love that also volcano vibes very cool yeah uh he did such a good job with that image and so oh that's captivating I wanted the cover to mirror that image. Like I wanted the idea of like a person on a rooftop seeing an expansive like world and like knowing like there's so much out there. Cause to me that, that shows treasure hunt, right? Like the idea that there's like so much out there. So that's why I wanted the idea of her being on a rooftop, looking out to this big city with all this stuff. And so uh, this was like an image he had done previously that was like a big inspiration for that. 
Oh yeah, so no, it's cool. epic. I just said it as our desktop macro. <laughs> 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 well, because we just had like whatever it was generic from Windows because we like literally just bought this computer today. But that's so cool looking. Yeah, that's epic. You said yeah. you have not seen Blood of Zeus, the anime, right? On that. I have. I have not. And that. Oh, uh, okay. I feel like I know time is like hectic, especially with, like the family and stuff. But if you get a chance, it's fantastic. I just feel like this looks like a futuristic version of something that would be in that anime. I do need to watch it because the guy who did all the chapter header illustrations, Cy Gardner, he works for that animation studio now. That's so, right. You said that. Yeah. So he. Uh, He's working for that company, which is like Powerhouse Animation Studio. Now. Ooh, yeah. So, yeah. I didn't, I, I've only seen Castlevania, which I thought was like that off was the charts brilliant. amazing. Yeah. Amazing. I think I've watched so, Blood of at least three times now, and I'm not really a rewatcher, and I'm not wow. huge into animated stuff. So I can't say like enough good stuff about that one. I loved it. Okay, sweet. I'll have to check it out. All right, it's boss battle time. I know. <laughs> derailed. So hard derailed. All right, so they are have like entered the lair. They got there. The door was wide open, so I'm pretty sure Damon just expected them to come. Yes, they've um, entered DD, Damon's dungeon. And <laughs> well, also, it'll make it easier for him. Damon Nathan dungeon. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and then it makes it easier for him, too, if they show up, because he can't get into the the lock for the spear yet, and if he gets the two other keys from him, he'll be able to open it right away. But otherwise, he just hasn't been able to get in there. I did like that he gave up on pursuing them and was like, it'll be faster if I just try and hack it, and then if they show up, it saves me the trouble of doing that. I feel like as a villain, it was smarter than just like constantly chasing them, because he was chasing them, and they had that big interaction, and then they were like, where did he go? Is he gonna come back? Like, it definitely feels ominous from their perspective for him to just kind of disappear. Yeah. And then when they talked to Benward, he was like, he already knows where the diffuser sphere is. So that was pretty shocking, too. Again, just like that sense of dread and time is of the essence. We need to go. A small thing when they got there, Jared noticed that the floor was heated and they think it's a technology from another intercon. Is that enchantment? Enchantment? Like, are the tiles made of a clay from Malcolm? Yes, sir. <laughs> Huzzah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I thought it would be a cool little world building thing of like some of these things mixing together a little bit, especially if it's something that's not really known. So that was kind of my thought is like a little bit of that. Now, they don't really allow it, but if somebody snuck it in. Well, especially I'm assuming this this lab was set up by Damon and Johan and they're like very influential and powerful. So I'm sure they can kind of skirt yeah. around some limitations that other people would face definitely this is not the place where damon awoke right like he woke up somewhere else yeah he woke up in shushin he had okay. like a little spot where he was that he woke up in and then when he woke up he was like oh he came to realize all the different things that were like holding him back and and that his plan had been thwarted gotcha okay but this is a place that he'd already known so it wasn't really surprising for him to nowhere to go so uh from damon's perspective he knows that they're there and he tells nathan to just keep running the code trying to hack it and then like oh he runs some code all right this was <laughs> clever but this we'll get to when, that yeah so this i'm pretty sure this is when nathan runs like the deactivate destruction sequence right instead mm -hmm. so he's had his change of heart already we don't know that until the end 
Oh, and I love how like ominous this is. Like Damon says, like this is your chance to show your commitment. We cannot accept failure. And he's like, you're he's right. He's gonna turn we around can't. and like reverse <laughs> all the coding that was running and build the deactivation code instead. And I think you like you definitely hinted at it because you you wrote anxiety like crept up his chest, um, but then the nanites controlled him. So it, you're made to think that the anxiety is about. Kana and Jared and everybody showing up or him making Failing. sure that he can't fail and not about what he's about to do. And I do like that the nanites in these intense moments keep coming up because it's almost like a perversion in a way where you're not in control of your own vessel and that's like the real danger of the collective is that like there becomes a line where you're no longer you. Yeah, yeah. and you're a little bit less human. Like that's like such a theme in so many books and like stories from all time is that like emotions are what makes humans human. So if you stop having that, like you're becoming more and more machine or robotic in a way. And that's got to feel like you're less, less like yourself. Yeah. So, all right. Our, our crew is about ready to enter. Like, Locked, loaded. The core. <laughs> yeah. Um, Everyone's got their like weapons out. Jared's got his wrist cuff in the dagger mode. Yeah. Cause he's, doesn't like Damon's extendo <laughs> arms, as he calls them. Yeah, he hates it. There'll be no biting in this fighting sequence. Yeah. They, like, enter the lab, and Damon is gone. And this is when you, like, really set the scene. Like, all the lights turn off, and then they turn back on red. So it's very yes. spooky and scary there. And then Damon appears above them on, like, a bridge that's going over the room. So he clearly has the upper hand here. In and a the lot high of ground. ways, and the high ground. The in high ground. A very <laughs> obvious way, yeah. Don't do it, Anakin. <laughs> he is trying to persuade them to give the personal station and the merge to him. Obviously, that's not why they've showed up. So this is when the battle gets going. So Jared, like, throws smoke uh, bomb. a smoke bomb, but then Damon's extendo arms come through <laughs> and uh, grab him. It gets... It's very chaotic in here. Um, yeah, like they're they're shooting at him. Everyone's just like running doing around. Their best. Jared's trying to get these like doors open, so he's like slamming on the button for um, like an elevator or like a door open, and it's not working. But as he's doing that, Damon comes and like clonks him on the head. Oh yeah, he totally like hammer thumps him like right on top of the skull. Yeah, and then his head is bleeding, so he's not doing very good. <laughs> <laughs> no. But then Jared decides he's like done running away and done being scared. So he just like comes out really bold and Kana ends up attacking Damon as Jared's deciding he's done being scared. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, the kick to the chest, though. Yeah. That Damon does to Kana, like very yeah, he, like, Mortal Kombat. Like swings from the bridge and like just hits her right in the chest with both feet. So like she goes flying. Yeah. Yeah. Damon definitely got a good hit on on all of them. Like that is rough and then while they're doing this gilman is trying to like switch what jared was doing and like try to open the door and as he's doing that uh damon comes and like grabs him by the throat so he's already gotten all of them like once pretty good yeah now they're kind of bargaining damon wants the personal station the merge before he starts like crushing bones which like he's absolutely capable of doing because he's a machine he's not even being figurative there <laughs> yeah <laughs> It's literally like, or I will kill him. <laughs> yeah. Just the idea of someone like crushing like your hand is so scary. Now, when um Jared throws a backpack or, you know, they barter for it, it's like, send him to me and it's yours. Like, I'll give you the bag. I thought for sure it was going to be like another backpack trap. Oh, yeah. The zipper 
that exploded. Yeah, so that when he like opens up, I'm like, oh god, he's got it. Like, yeah, and then Damon was pretty smart because he like steps on Damon's leg and he's like, you're not going anywhere until I check the backpack. But then it's not in the backpack, so he's yeah, still gone. like standing on Gilman. Gilman's very clever and like hot wires him for a second so that Damon's like electrocuted and they run away. I love the line though where Damon opens up the bag. He's like, it's empty. He's like, did you even bring it here? And he's like, <laughs> nope. And, like, Great block. Like, Imagine if they didn't bring the items. It kind of would be smart if you think about it. Like they don't want the diffuser sphere. Technically, they don't need it for anything. They're just trying to keep Damon away from it. So if they didn't bring the things that open it, they could prevent him from opening it. But um, yeah, <laughs> I thought that was a pretty good. Like, like he's so exasperated. Like, do you even have them? Like, where are they? <laughs> but they're hidden. So he hid them. I think when he got hit, he hid them down in like the desk. Yeah, that he was laying next to. But then Jared ends up getting through the door. Like Gil opened it, and Kana and Gilman are stuck on the other side with Damon. So it's Jared versus Nathan, and then the other three. There's this interaction where Jared comes in, and Nathan's like kind of scared, uh, and then like begging, and Jared thinks that he's like begging for him to let him finish like unlocking or like programming the vault so they can get to the diffuser sphere. We I know. To find out Nathan. that like Nathan's trying to help, and like it's just it's not going well. So they end up fighting for it, and Nathan gets wrecked. Yeah, he gets like stabbed right in the gut, and like that's pretty rough. Like, I'm surprised he was able to walk that off. <laughs> walk that off. <laughs> just walk it off. Just rub some dirt in yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just just smear some nanites. It'll be fine. Um, I don't know if I'd say he walked it off. Like, no, he he's like doubled over in just kind of fetal position. He's like basically down and out for the count until the the end of the book. Yeah. Um, but Nathan's like not saying out loud like what's going on because he's like, don't destroy the file. He can't see it, and not indicating that like it's the destruct sequence, like that he's trying to help. But then once Jared gets to the computer, like it's all it all becomes clear. Yeah. Yeah. We well, can only say so much too, because that's gonna be cataloged in Damon's head, whatever he says. So. Oh, that's why. I was like, they're in the other room. Just say it. He can't hear you, but I forgot their minds are linked. Yep. How did he get away with programming it then without Damon seeing it? Damon's being occupied by a fight, so Oh, so sneaky. Yeah. Wicked smart. Very sneaky. <laughs> So everyone's on their last leg here. Jared says he can uh, like feel the tiredness and like how much hurt he's taken over the past, like however long they've been running around. Uh, and then this fight has really roughed him up a bit. So he's he's having a tough time. And then like the last straw is that Gilman comes in holding the merge in the personal station, which Jared thought he'd hidden. And then Connor's behind them. But Damon's doing like the most villain move ever and like dragging her by her hair. Which yeah. Mm. so it's like a dirty thing to do in a fight like you can't pull someone by their hair (laughs) i don't know why it makes me so mad (laughs) he's very evil for doing so (laughs) classic villain move yeah it just it's so fucked up i don't know (laughs) just pop it (laughs) like that's not a fair fight to just like pull someone by their hair yeah no so damon is holding Kana and says that like he can like crush her sternum essentially if Jared doesn't do what he wants. So he wants Jared to open up the the vault and remove Johan's code that's holding him. 
So he has him pair the merge and the station. And as they're getting going, the computer switches to this interface with three folders on it. And Damon's like, you can worry about those once you open the vault. We find out that there should not be three folders yep. on it. They get the, the vault open. The diffuser sphere sounds so cool. So like there's a puck in there. So it like comes out like levitating, which just looks so cool and biblical. It was in a golden vault, which they couldn't see because the lighting was all red. But that's such a like extra Again, feature the to add. Yeah, it sounds really, <laughs> really extravagant. Um, and then it's like all these pieces like come up and like click together and it, you know, morphing on its own. But it's definitely it's definitely working still, which is good because it's been stored in this like cold cold safe house for a long time so um could have been a chance that it didn't do anything <laughs> oh like it's been in here for so long it no longer works the battery acid leaked yeah. i don't know yeah <laughs> yeah Old it's toy. not charged yeah. Yeah. <laughs> go on give it a minute plug plug it in yeah but Turn they it only off, back on again <laughs> but they only have like usb micro usb and not lightning cord or whatever so yeah <laughs> Yeah, like the uh, the old Apple chargers that were like wide, and then they switched to those little skinny yeah. ones. Yeah, and Damon's like, I could foresee all, but not to this. Yeah, and you go to a friend's house, they have the other phone, and you're like, I can't. Speaking of cords, they have to plug Damon in behind his ear, which made yeah. me laugh. <laughs> so he's clearly got like a little port back there, literally like yeah. an aux cable, like yeah. ear canal. I loved it. I loved it. So good. So yeah, he's connected him to the diffuser sphere. And his chest like opens up and Damon is gross popping apart the way the diffuser sphere is supposed to make you do, right? Like that's it takes like all mm. the machinery apart. So like his body's like coming apart into all these different pieces, which is disgusting. And Jared thinks it's gross and disgusting and scary. And so Damon's basically like I think this entire time I forgot to mention he's been holding Kana near that like vat that they pushed Nathan's friends into. So if this goes wrong the threat is that she'll fall into like the acid vat or whatever's in there. But Right. And it's a smart move to make Jared do it because he's essentially dividing them up. So it's not like they can do a sneak attack while if um, Nathan was doing the programming or something else. Yeah. I will give Damon the, the props on being methodical enough to know to keep like your enemies busy. If literally if Nathan hadn't done this deconstruct sequence, like he would have won here. Yeah. So again, this all comes down to Damon's like pride and hubris for just like treating Nathan like not very nicely, and he gets what he deserves in the, in the end for it. He should have just gave him the number one henchman shirt, and this all would have been fine. <laughs> <laughs> Treat your employees well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, as he's like coming apart, basically, he wants Jared to take the computer files and like put one into into the other, and then like initiate the sequence. But there's a third file called deconstruct sequence. Jared's like, I don't know why this would be here. Is this what Nathan was trying to delete earlier? Like, is something else going on? But he takes the gamble and uses the deconstruct sequence on Damon. And this is it. They're winning. Yeah. <laughs> the light connecting Damon to the diffuser sphere like they disconnect damon had like light coming out of his eyes and mouth at one point like it all turns off and he like falls to the floor and he's like i feel like my mind is slipping away like i can't see i don't know what's happening um and he's clearly like no longer connected to like essentially the internet <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah he's he's turned his wi-fi off <laughs> <laughs> 
So like his mechanical parts stop working. So like there's that hissing sound of an engine turning off. And then he like kind of like bursts into all these little pieces. Oh, I loved that. I feel like that was way more satisfying than if he just kind of like crumpled to the ground and then just be like, eh, like, no, you always so want a good, good explosion. You always, yes, you know. yes. Yeah. And if you're half machine, like you should explode just because it's so much yeah, more so I'm really glad he turned into Legos and just like <laughs> shattered all over the floor. It was so good. <laughs> It's kind of like in the first Harry Potter when he like crumbles. Oh, Quirrell. Yeah, when Quirrell yeah. crumbles into ash in the uh... Sorcerer's Stone. Sorcerer's Stone. Yeah. What's that room called? Oh, it's not the Room of Requirement. No, it's a different <laughs> one. Oh man, I don't remember. I thought it was just in that weird. It's like... under the trap door. Yeah. I don't think it has. Because they, they play, they do the double snare. They play like the most ridiculous game of chess, and then it's like. The Hellfire Chamber, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know the, the yeah, yeah, yeah. basement. Yeah, everybody needs one of those. Yeah, basement number four. Um, yeah, but like, it's so much more dramatic when they like fall into parts or pieces or like crumble away instead of just like dying, which happens a lot in books. Like, you can't make all your bad guys explode or whatever. Explode, but it's very yeah. cool. Like, I don't know. I just thought it was awesome that like. He was, like, all lit up and, like, coming apart and then, like, kind of snapped back together and then just, like, fell into, like, so many pieces. It sounded yeah. very final. Like, he's not yes. going to be able to come back in any way. Yeah, it was uh, with this ending, too. Like, I originally, I knew that it would end there and I knew that it, he would end by having some type of code put into him and exploding. I didn't know exactly how. I just knew that that was where I wanted to go. And when I started doing the first draft and I got to that point and Nathan was there and everything that had been happening, it made total sense to me for it to go this way with the code, with Nathan, with Jared, like that all happened sort of like ad lib in my head as I'm living this fight scene, like I'm living this fight scene in my head and where it would go. And it's like all of those things made sense to me. But initially I had kind of a more boring ending and I'm so glad that this sort of like came to me as I was writing it. No, I loved it. It was so good. Yeah, the build-up, the fighting, just everything kind of unpacked nicely. Especially because he got so close to winning. Like like I said, if he had just done one thing different, like he got Jared to do what he wanted him to do from Damon's perspective. Like everything was going correctly. Got the diffuser sphere out, like he'd connected to it, no problem. And then thankfully nathan built that code in yeah <laughs> so it all worked out secret for mvp yeah i love that gilman decides to take the diffuser sphere for himself <laughs> yeah that's very on brand for gilman <laughs> yeah and like he he reasons that they can't leave it there now that nathan knows where it is but nathan is clearly like done jared vouches and says that like he's the reason they won nathan Basically cuts all allegiances and like says he's done with Damon, but it seems like Damon's done with everybody since he's like <laughs> he's just off the ground. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean Nathan's going to find his dad right now, which is really nice. Yeah, I think he realizes like all the mistakes he's ever made need to be remedied, and he needs to do like a real apology because he left off on such a bad note with his dad, and the conversation that he'd had with him is the reason why he had a change of heart. So. He's going to go follow through on that, which is a good ending for Nathan. Yeah, like every character needs a good redemption arc. He has a, a really good redemption arc. He did a full 360 from where he started. I love that Kana just like doesn't even ask. She's like, I'll just ask these 
for clarifications later. Like, <laughs> we're all tired. We want to go get some rest. Yeah, um, she's like over it. She's like, my hair hurts. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and then there's like the perfect epilogue of like vacation time when they're all yes. just hanging out, drinking by a pool. <laughs> they're back on the vacation island veers and they're kicking back, relaxing. And everyone got a little something. Yeah, so. Jared got yeah. his, his doll. <laughs> his fountain yeah. manager. Uh, it's kind of clear that he and Kata are still sort of together. They all got their cut, so they got paid. And then there's the very clear setup for a continuation of their story where Kana says that like they got a lead on somebody who's an aeronautics engineer who will probably be able to take them past the forum and like give them travel access around the intercontinent so they have a lot of potential on the horizon yeah and that's really exciting because i know jared is just he's so multi-dimensional and he just at his core is an explorer so it'll be fun to see him be able to tackle new adventures and see exotic places yeah and i think there's a mention of them going back to their like home continent at one point so they have a lot of things that they can do now that they've defeated Damon. They've got more cash to be able to go on their adventures and and Kana's on their side and she's obviously like super well connected. So the trio have a lot they can do from here. I know I can't wait till there's a, a story that really comes to me for them. I won't write anything until I feel I have a, an adventure that's worthy of this crew. So yeah. yeah, I'm hoping that after I've got Currently, the book I've talked about a bunch of times, my third book, the horror book. And then I do have a follow-up for all the characters of Malkaze. And then I'm hoping by the time I finish that book, because that book in my head, I've already got the whole thing outlined for where all those characters go. I'm hoping that by the time I finish that, I'll have like a really good adventure for all these guys. So. Yeah. Cool. I love the stark contrast between these two books. Obviously, we had more magical style of fantasy with Malkose and this like technological thriller with Orev. I love how different the quote unquote boss battles like went down where Scoria kind of ends up being imprisoned and it's like open ended, almost like in that classic villain trope of like, I'll get you again one day. And, like you don't <laughs> I'll know. be back. Yeah, like I don't know if it's gonna be like a prison break styles or like the underling Morgan. Is, Morgan's gonna be like the next like top ranking villain, but with Damon out, a power vacuum arises. So I like that there's still opportunity, but in a completely different way. So I loved both books. These were really just very unique from one another, but they both felt like they were in the same universe, which is really cool. Yeah, they definitely like fit together, but I do like you said, like the not only like are the settings so different, but I think the writing in terms of like this is like one group and then the villain, and then the last one was like all different characters kind of coming together into like a web that's converging. And both were exciting to read. I liked I liked both a lot. That's awesome to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for finding us and yeah. sending them to us. It's like, been so yeah. <laughs> Becoming our friend and all sorts of stuff along the way. So Yeah, no, this has been so much fun. And I'm excited, obviously, for in the future as, you know, I get more and more stories out and we can chat and uh, obviously, you know, audiobook and all that jazz. So Yeah. Yeah. And if you, uh, I know last time you said something like if you wanted us to beta read anything or if you want us to wait and review stuff, future work on the podcast, like we're down for anything. All right. I think... 
think this is the end. Yeah. It's not the end. It just, until the next chapter. It's just the end of the program. And, uh, (laughs) yeah, I'll keep chugging along on audiobook stuff, and you're working on the third book, so there's plenty to look forward to. Thanks, listeners. If you're looking for more, check us out at fantasticbookspod.com, where we have book reviews, reading list suggestions, merch, and you can even send us a message. Or find us on Facebook and Instagram at Fantastic Books Pod. And if you like what you've been hearing, don't forget to leave us a review. Thanks. Thanks.